Well, good morning. Good to see you. What an awesome day out there, isn't it? Just beautiful day. And uh, this is what January is all about, right? This is what it is right here. The rest of the Midwest. I, I got a, uh, a text from uh, a friend of ours who's living with us last year uh, for about five months, and then she moved back to Iowa. And uh, she, I got this text. I hadn't heard from her for like three months. I got a text yesterday morning. It said, you know it's cold when your nose hairs are freezing. And I said, yeah, I feel for you. I remember what it was like living back there. We've been in the 80s out here. Sorry. You know, <laughs> so anyway, uh, just great to be here together. And uh, we have a very special uh, weekend planned, uh, as you know, as we wrap up the series today, uh, The Way. And um, we're going to do, be uh, doing a couple things, but I want to welcome those of you who are brand new here. You're uh, brand new to the Church of Rocky Peak. And uh, inside of your weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week. And so um, we're gonna, if you want to pull that out, we're going to start. I'm going to pray, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what's going to happen uh, today. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, first of all, at the start of this very special weekend, we want to invite your presence here. As a church, Lord, we, we stand before you. We come before you. We just say that we are all about your presence. That, God, it's, it's your presence that makes this place worthwhile. It's this presence that makes this place special and holy that when we come, we gather in your name, we gather around your word, we gather under the banner of your spirit, and you come, Lord, that's what we're here for, to experience, to know, to love, and to worship you. And so today, as we come to the end of this series, we invite you to come and to be in our presence so we might worship you, experience you, be changed by you. So we give this whole service to you in Christ's name, amen. Well, today we, uh, we come to the end of this series, and can you believe it? I mean, we've been in it since February. Uh, I, as far as I know, I think it's the longest series in the history of this church. not sure about that. I think so. Uh, I know it's for sure the longest series uh, since I've been here, and, uh, and it, it's been amazing, hasn't it? I mean, God has just met us week by week by week, and, uh, and, you know, and I feel that as much as you do because I'm the guy that has to get the message every week, and and so it's like, Lord, you know, we just need another one. And then he begins to work and change and teach and download and things come together. And then we come together as a church to learn what it means to follow him. And, uh, and I, I think God has moved. He's met us here every week. And, and we've, we've learned a little bit more as a church this year. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that in the early church was first called, the first name for it was The Way. And uh, if you're brand new today, just want to welcome you. Uh, you're coming in at the very tail end of a long series. And so I want to bring you up to speed. This is a, a series that is about the, the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest spiritual leaders of all time. And what we've done in this series is, is asked him to mentor us. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of his movement? And so every week we've started the same way. We've started off with the, his, one of his longest, his most famous letter he's, he ever wrote, the, the letter to the Church of Rome. And then we've used it as a launching pad in the last, rest of his uh, life and teaching. And so today uh, we're going to be doing a couple things in this service. First of all, we're going to be doing sort of a quick review. I want to kind of uh, posit like a story, as if the, 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 the book of Romans is like a story that Paul wrote with seven chapters in this story. And so we're going to do kind of a quick review of this whole story from chapter 1 through chapter 7 of these seven stories. And that's what you have in your note sheet. But also I wanted to make today more than just a, a, a kind of a review. I wanted to make a time where, where we experience the realities that we're describing. And so today we're going to be 
entering into these truths that we've been learning about, these great truths, um, and, and we're going to be doing it through some of the ancient symbols of the ancient church. And so, so we're going to be doing baptisms today. You know, d- during this series, we've had about 200 people baptized at this church. And, uh, and so uh, today, we, this weekend, we have about 20 more people that are being baptized in the three services. And we had a great time last night doing that with uh, about eight of them. And we'll have, I think, about five or so this, this service, and then 11 or so next service. And so we're going to be doing some baptism. Um, we're going to be entering into the truth of this peace with God we have through communion. And so today we're going to be celebrating communion time. And then we're also going to be having one other uh, kind of ceremony, ancient ceremony. And you know in the, in the, in the Bible that um, oil is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so if you go in the Old Testament, it kind of symbolizes three things. Um, uh, first of all, it symbolizes us being set apart for God. Like in the Old Testament, the priests, when they became a priest, they would anoint them with oil to set them apart for God. In fact, they would even anoint pretty much everything in the temple, all the pots and pans and everything. They would anoint it with oil. It's a, hey, you're set apart. This is for God. Um, it, it, it represented sort of an a, a, a anointing of the Holy Spirit on someone's life. And so like when kings would become, they were actually called the anointed of Israel, uh, the Messiah. His name was the anointed one, one who is anointed by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have the picture of oil of healing. When Jesus sent out the, the, his disciples, he sent them out to anoint with oil and to heal. And then that tradition carried on the New Testament. I don't know if you knew this, but in the early church, the first few hundred years of the church, when a person would become a Christian and be baptized, after they'd be baptized, they'd be anointed with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service today to, to present ourselves to God and just say, God, we want to be separated to you. We want to be uh, filled with your spirit. We want to be uh, healed in our lives. And so you'll have an opportunity, if you feel so led, to be anointed with oil as we give ourselves to God. And so we'll be using these three different symbols to enter into the truths that we're talking about uh, today. And of course, interspersed through all of it will be worship, which is the very best. And we'll just become before God as a church and wrap up this series together. But what I want to do is I want to begin uh, just to start with your note sheet there and begin to tell this story that the Apostle Paul has told us, seven chapters, um, a seven-chapter novel of the story of what he calls his gospel. Um, and so uh, chapter one, if you've got your note sheet, chapter one, I would, I would call chapter one, I would title it Fallen, and the subtitle would be The Rebel Race. And so this is where we began our journey with the Apostle Paul, the story of the, the human race, that we're the fallen race. This is what we learned in chapters 1 through 3, that, that we're the fallen race, we're the rebel race, that, that we were created for relationship with God, uh, and, and yet we rebelled against our Creator. Remember what Paul taught us in chapter 1, that the knowledge of God is hardwired into creation itself, and yet we've rejected that knowledge. We wanted to create gods in our own image. We wanted to go our own way, do our own thing. And of course, when that happens, when you cut yourself off from the source of all that's good and right and true, then what happens? The race falls, and it becomes a race of death and destruction, and that's why the world is the way it is today. Remember what we learned. It doesn't really matter what your spiritual background is. Remember this? We, we, we said it doesn't matter whether you're a good kid or whether you're a bad kid, you're in the middle here, <laughs> remember that? Or whether you are the special kids, the Jewish nation, that were all fallen people. And, and so uh, when Paul left us at the end of the first three chapters, we left the, he left us before the judge of all the earth. Remember, we were helpless, hopeless, speechless, 
doomed and damned under the wrath of God. In fact, there in your note sheet, you, he summarizes this in Ephesians chapter 2, one of his, his uh, uh, larger writings. He says, you were dead. You know, before you came to Jesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You're spiritually dead. You're cut off from God. And what you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So this world's on a different course. It's the, it's the rebel race. And you follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the, the great enemy that we saw first in the garden. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, every single one of us, we lived among them at one time. And we are gratifying the, the cravings of the sinful, the fallen, the destructive nature. And we're following its desires and its thought. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of what? wrath. And so we, we were there before the judgment of God, and, and there was no way out, and there was nothing we could do. There was nothing we could make up for our rebellion. There was nothing we could do to make up for our fallenness. And so we, we were there before the judge of the earth, as I often said, kept on saying, helpless, hopeless, speechless, doomed, and damned. And, and then all of a sudden, remember, in the far side of the courtroom, in, in, came, in came someone, and every eye turned because there was, a, there was a solution to this problem. And that leads to chapter 2. And so chapter 2, I would title it Love, the story behind the story. And you remember we, we learned in, this, in chapter 2 of this story the Apostle Paul's telling. We learned uh, that there was a God who loved us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our rejection, in spite of our evil, that, that there was a God who was coming after us. A God who refused to be separated. A God who said, no, I will pay the highest and the best. I, I will give my own son to redeem you, to, to bring you back. Now, this was unheard of in the history of the world. If you study religious thought in the history of the world, this was a brand new thought. No one had ever told this story like this. Study all the religions of the world. No one had ever come up with an idea. All the religions of the world are the stories of how we must make a sacrifice in order to please the gods, right? That, that all, the, all, all the religions of the world basically said the gods are angry. We need to try to buy them off. We need to bring wheat. We need to bring corn. We need to do something because they're angry. And all of a sudden, a new story comes. Paul says, no, there is a story behind the story of a God that brings the sacrifice for us. See, before we would bring the sacrifice for him, now he brings the sacrifice. The sacrifice is his son. A, a God that, that loves us so unbelievably, he would hit, pay the highest price. And so the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 5 and verses 1 and 2 on your note sheet. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we've been made right with God through faith. Remember the deal? Remember what we learned about? This new relationship with God is not based on our performance. See, that's what religion's all about. Religion is about living up to a performance standard that achieves God's approval. Uh, Jesus is not about religion. He's about relationship. And the message of this story is that there's no way that you can live up to God's expectations. And so it's about a God who came and so we're made right, not through our performance, but through Christ's performance. And so we've been justified through faith, and we have peace with God. Remember this? 
a new relationship. The war is over. All crimes against the king, high treason, have been forgiven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, through his death, his resurrection. Remember we called this the great exchange. His life for our lives. Through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You remember that? That we stand in a place called, hello? We stand in a place called grace. Remember what we learned is that we don't just start in a place called grace. Remember we talked about that. A lot of, a lot of Christians, they, we just start in a place. You come to Jesus and he forgives everything in your past, but you're kind of on your own for your future. Like, no, 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 no. We stand in a place called grace. This is our permanent location. This is our permanent address. We stand in a place called grace that we never relate to God based on our performance. We always relate to God based on his performance. And so as a church, what does this mean? For each of these seven chapters, there's an implication for us as a church. What is God calling us to be as a church? We are called to be a place called grace, aren't we? And that's why we don't care where you've come from. And we, the message that we have for this world and these communities that we serve, so we serve for the San Fernando Valley, for the Simi Valley, for San, the Santa Clarita, the message that we bring is Jesus doesn't care where you've come from. He only cares where you're going. And so it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away you've been from God, that there is a place called grace for you, a place you can start again. And so this is the great truth that we celebrate in communion, in the ancient rite of communion. There, there is one who has come and paid the price for us to have peace with God, so we stand permanently in a place called grace. And so that's the great truth we're going to be celebrating now in communion. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to be turning the lights down. We're going to be going into worship. And as the, the worship begins to, as, as the band begins to play, that, you know, while that begins to happen, we just encourage you to get up from your seat and go around the room to one of the communion tables and celebrate this new relationship with God. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, what better time to give your life to Christ by going to the communion table, representing his body and his blood, and just telling him, Jesus, I want a new life. I want to be forgiven. I want to follow you. And taking his body and his blood, what a beautiful way for you to come to Christ today. And so I'm going to pray and then the band's beginning to play. As the band plays, we'll, uh, we'll stand and begin to, to worship. Go, go to the communion tables. And then as you come back, just enter into worship as you come on back. All right, let's uh, pray together. Father, we come with these first two chapters. Father, that's our prayer. That there's no one like you. That's our, our statement of faith. God's what it's all about. We thank you. We thank you for the peace that we have with you, that no matter what we've done or where we've been, that we have freedom to start over. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's move on to chapter three of our story. So in chapter one, we learned that we're the fallen race, we're the rebel race. And in chapter two, that there's a God who loves us in spite of that, who's come after us, who refused to let us go, who's paid the highest price that we could have a relationship with him again. And and yet, of course, that's not the end of the story. Chapter 3 is called Life. It's a brand new start. And so what the Apostle Paul taught us was that as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, 
that were born into the world with their spiritual DNA, which is the DNA of rebellion, the DNA of death. And, and what we really need is we need someone to come forward who would sort of say, hey, I'll die for you. We need someone to kind of die for us and then like rise for us so that we could live a new life. And of course, that's what Jesus did, that he didn't just die to forgive our sins, he died to take us with him so that we could rise with him to a whole new life. And, and that's what baptism is about, that when a man or a woman comes to a place in their life where they say, I'm sick of my old life, I'm sick of this life of rebellion, I'm sick of doing life my own way, I want a brand new life, I want to rise to a new life, that there is a way to leave the old life and to move into the new life. And there's a way to step over the line and to, to leave the, the past behind and to move into a new life. And that line is what we call the great divide. And that great divide is baptism. And what we learned is in the early church that when a man or a woman would decide to follow Jesus, this is the way that they would do it. That they wouldn't raise their hand or write their name on a registration card or walk the aisle to altar call. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but, but they would be baptized and that they would be then, as they go into the water, they're being united with Christ in his death, and they're rising up with him to a new life. And this is what Paul says there on your note sheet in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know that all of us, now catch that. Uh, remember what we learned that in the early church, that the concept of an unbaptized follower of Jesus was an oxymoron. That, that if you follow Jesus, this is how you follow Jesus. This is how you say to God and the world and to everyone, I want to follow. You get baptized. And so the idea of an unbaptized believer would be something totally foreign to them. And so he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, his death to sin, his death to the old life. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too might live a new life. And of course, this is a life, as we learned, a life of freedom. And it's a life that comes through obedience. Remember, we learned that the great lie of the enemy is that disobedience leads to freedom. What we learned is that, no, it leads to death and destruction and addiction, and it destroys our life. But that, that Jesus frees us to obey, to live the life we we're supposed to create to be lived, and so we move into new freedom in our life. And so in this series, we have celebrated baptisms. And if you were here last summer, you know that, that on July 4th weekend, we said it's time for us as a church to catch up. There's maybe many of us who have been followers of Jesus, but for whatever reason, we didn't know or didn't understand or whatever we didn't opportunity, we've never been baptized, and we need, to, if we're going to follow Jesus at the church at Rocky Peak, that we need to follow him in baptism. And you remember that weekend, we had new believers and old believers, and we had about 100 people that were baptized outside. And then we had another baptism later in the year in October and, and one in August. And so we've been baptizing people. And like I say with this weekend, I think it's over 200 people now just in the, since, since the summer that have come to Christ in the waters of baptism. And so this weekend we have, like I said, about 20 more people are being baptized. I'm going to invite them up at this time. We have at least uh, about five this service. I'm going to quickly uh, introduce them, kind of interview them, and then we're going to, uh, to baptize them. And so if you'd uh, come on up. Great. Okay. Let's go uh, see Isabella. Why don't you come on up here? 
Right, stand right up here. Isabella, how old are you? Nine. And why do you want to be baptized today? To show everyone that I'm a Christian and to obey God. Great. Thank you very much, Isabella. Why don't you stand right over there? Go ahead, uh, Joanne. Let's come on up. Joanne, why, um, uh, well, first of all, how old are you? I'm eight. And uh, why do you want to be baptized today? I want to get rid of the guilt that really hurts me. Great. Thank you. That's what baptism is. It washes away our sins, doesn't it? Great. Thank you, Joanne. This is uh, David Barry. David, uh, why are you making this decision to follow Jesus in baptism at this time? I feel it's time for me to follow God. So. Great. Now, you're, you're, uh, you're in the military, right? You're in the, you're in the Marines. Yes, sir. And you're going to be going, where are you going to be? I, I think you're heading out for some training right now. Yeah, Marine combat training in two days. Great. And you're going down to uh, God's country at Camp Pendleton, is that right? Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. Great. Thank you, David. <laughs> Okay, and this is uh, Rob Esfandiari. Come on, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. Why do you want to be baptized today? I want to prove to God that I want to follow him and I want him to be part of my life. Great. Thank you very much, Rob. And this is Esfand Esfandiari. And uh, can you tell us why you want to be baptized today? I want to be a real Christian and a lover of Christ. Great. Great. That's awesome. Okay, we're going to be going into the pool at this time. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's continue this story that we've been on. So we start off as a fallen race, and, and God has come after us. The story behind the story. He's got a new life for us. Um, chapter 4 of the story, the title is Spirit, and it's, it's a brand new, uh, or the source of our success. Remember what we learned is that, that before we come to Jesus, this part of the fallen race with the old DNA, that we don't really have the ability to, to follow him, that, that God can tell us what to do, he can give us his law, love one another, love God, and it's all good, but we don't really have the power to carry it out. And so we learned that that with the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross, it opened up a whole new era in human history where, where God's spirit can actually come and live in the believer's life and change us from the inside out and empower us to do what we could never do on our own. And so Paul puts it like this in your note sheet there in Romans 8. He says, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful nature, our fallen nature, um, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, that fallen nature, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, nothing wrong with the law, love God, love people, that's a good thing, um, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but we live according to the whom? The spirit. And so, so the Spirit is the one who comes and changes us from the inside out, one of the most important truths of this story. And so, of course, the, the secret of our success then as a church, as followers of Jesus, is, is to learn to listen 
and to follow the leading of the Spirit in every area of our life, in our, in our marriages, in our friendships, on the job, in our walk with Christ, the way we handle our finances, in every area that we would lead the Spirit lead us. And so Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5 on your note sheet. Since then we live by the Spirit, we've come alive by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the Spirit is the key to our success. Now, chapter 5. The fifth chapter in this story is a chapter called Transformation. It's a whole new perspective on life. Remember what we learned in chapter 12 is that when Jesus calls a man or a woman to follow, he doesn't call us just to be forgiven. That's just first base. He, he calls us to be changed, to be transformed. Remember the word that Paul used was the word in Greek, metamorpho, remember that? For metamorphosis, it's the process that a caterpillar goes through on the way to his new life of becoming a butterfly. Uh, it's, it's the process a tadpole goes through on the way of their new life to becoming a frog. And so, so we too, as Christ's followers, we come to Jesus, but we don't stay the way we are. We are transformed. It's the whole point of this thing, that we become like Jesus, and we go through this metamorpho process. And remember what Paul said. He said that there was two steps in this transformation process. He said the first step is we come to a place in our life where we say, God, based on all you've done for me, I'm going to give my life completely, absolutely, totally surrendered. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to follow you. He said we need to give our life as living sacrifices. Remember that? And we talked about giving God the pink slip of our lives. Remember that? And then, and then Paul said, then the second step, after you give God the pink slip of your life, the second step is that you need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so this transformation process is an ongoing process where we come each week by his word, by his spirit, by our relationships, and we are being transformed and changed to be like him. So here's how Paul puts it there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, now catch that. He's talking to brothers here. He's talking to fellow Christ followers. He says, uh, hey, Rocky Peak, church, fellow Christ followers, I urge you, in light of God's mercy, in light of this whole story I've been telling you about the fallen race and God's amazing love, in light of that, that you would offer your bodies, your whole lives, as living sacrifices, total surrender, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, the ultimate act of worship is not raising our hands, it's giving our life. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So he says, hey, if you're going to follow me as a church, you can't go with the culture. You have to go against the culture at times. He says, but be transformed. There's our word. That's the Greek word, metamorpho. Be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind, a whole new way of thinking. And then you'll be able to test and approve, remember we said experience, what God's will is for your life. Did you catch that? So remember we learned it was a two-step process. First, total surrender. Second, be renewed. Third result is we, the, the God's experiencing God's will for our life. If we don't do total surrender, and if we don't allow him to transform us, we'll never experience God's will. And so as a church, we come together not just to sing or to learn or to listen. We come to be changed. This is why we're a church. We come to be changed into new people that are like Jesus. So that's chapter 5. And then chapter 6. 
If you flip the, flip the page in this novel that Paul's writing, chapter 6 is called Love, the rule that rules them all. We learn that as Christ's followers, we're to be transformed to be like him, but what does it mean to be like Jesus? And more than anything else, it means we live a life of love. We, we learn that as Christ's followers, there's one rule that rules them all for us. There's a lot of things we're told to do in the New Testament. There's a lot of, hey, do this, be that, uh, don't do this. But it all really comes down to very simple command that we would love one another. And, and so that's our core uh, code. Like Paul puts it this way in Romans 13a. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And so we talked about the law of love being our code of conduct for a church. And so this is where God's teaching us, taking us in the future. He's taking us that as a church we would continue to learn what it means to love one another. And Paul kind of spells it out. He gave us a lot of examples because it takes in a lot of territory. He said, well, it takes in, for example, using your spiritual gifts because we've all been uniquely gifted to serve one another. We need to be using our gifts. He said it, it takes in encouraging one another, helping each other during hard times with our finances, supporting, challenging, holding accountable. He said, here's one. It means giving up the right to retaliation. Remember that? Talk about that? It means embracing the law of forgiveness. Remember, he went on, he said, it, it means things like leaving our lives of sexual immorality behind. It means leaving our substance abuse behind. And then remember, he spent a, a chapter and a half on this, saying it means learning to get along and to accept one another even when we don't always agree on everything. That it's okay to agree to disagree. There's certain things that are black and white that so we have to agree on, who Jesus is, how we come to Jesus and have a relationship. The core moral code of the New Testament, non-negotiables, we can't sacrifice this. We have to be unified. But there's other issues that are secondary issues. Remember, gray areas, not life or death issues. And on these, it's okay to disagree. It's even okay to be wrong. It's more important to love one another and to get along than it is to be right on everything. And that sometimes we even have to give up our rights for the sake of others who are weaker and can't see it. And so there in your note sheet, Romans 15, 7, he says, accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so we learned about the law of love. That this is the law that is to rule our path as Christians. It gets very simple. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means in every situation to ask one question, what would love do? And do that the best we know, and that's what we're supposed to do. And then number seven, the last chapter in this story that he's telling is a chapter called Destiny. And it's, it's cre the subtitle is Created for Glory. And so we learned that as a human race, we were created in the image of God. We were to share, reflect his glory. And yet we lost that when we rebelled. We, we're no longer what we're supposed to be. We're, we're the fallen race. And, and yet this is what Jesus has come to do, is to restore our glory, that we can be like him again. And so he says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. You see, that's what we lost. And yet this is what Jesus came to restore. And we're in a restoration process. We're becoming like him. We're being transformed. But, of course, that won't be fully accomplished until Jesus comes back. And then look out. We're going to be amazing, right? Right now, not so much. <laughs> but we're going to be amazing. Uh, look at this, what he puts it there in your, in your note sheet. Romans 8, 29. For those that God foreknew, like he knew us before the dawn of time, 
He predestined, he planned us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, we follow Jesus to become like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's God up to? He's creating a new family, a new community, a new movement, and everyone looks like the big brother. Everyone's like their big brother. And those he predestined, he also called. So there was a point in your life where Jesus came and made himself real to you and said, follow me, and he called us. And those he called, he justified. He said, if you follow me, I will make you right. I will forgive you. And then those he justified, catch this, he also what? Glorified. You see, in time and space, we've not experienced this step yet, but for a God who stands outside time and space, he's seen the end of the process. That, that we are the glorified, we will be glorified, we'll be like him, we'll be changed to be like him, new bodies, new planet, new earth. There'll be an amazing future that he has planned for us. And remember this, that it wasn't just uh, our lives that get this extreme makeover. That it's the whole universe, the whole cosmos. Look what he says next. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We go first, we get transformed first, and then the universe follows us. Because the universe was made for us. This is something that this whole uh, ecological movement misses. We are called to be uh, to be sustainers of the universe. We are called to caretake our planet, and we have done a horrible job of that. And we need to repent of that, and we need to take care of this planet. But make no mistake that the planet was made for us, not us for the planet. And that's why we get restored first, and then the planet gets restored, you see? And so, and so this amazing picture. And then what does he say? Paul says, and in the meantime, between us coming to Christ and this final glorification, here's what God guarantees, that everything that you go through in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, has to pass through him before it gets to you. And he's working it all out for your good in your life. What an amazing promise. And this is our destiny. And so here's the story. Here's a story in seven chapters, the message of the Apostle Paul, what he calls his gospel, that we're the fallen race, chapter one, that, that there's a story behind the story, though, a God who comes after us, that there's a way to start over and to have a whole new life, that there's a God who will come to live in us by his spirit to empower us to be changed and transformed, to be like him, that there's one rule that rules us all now, and that's the call of love, that we would be like this God who came after us, and that our destiny is sure, and it's going to be amazing. And that is what we come to celebrate today, this story of all stories. Who could have thought it up? Amazing story. Now, as we begin to wrap this up, I want to give you a chance to respond to this story. You know, for the last almost a year, we've been coming alongside the Apostle Paul, we, every week I've started the same way, by saying that uh, he's our mentor and how to live the Christian life, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be part of his movement. And he's done all this teaching of here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And now the question is, as a church and as individuals, will we follow? Are we going to follow and I love his statement in Romans 12. He says, I urge you, brothers, I know you're Christ's followers, but he says, you Christians at Rome, I urge you by this story that I've told, I urge you that you would present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, total surrender. God, I'm yours. 
I belong to you. I want to be transformed. I want to experience your plan that you have for my life, what's good and right and pleasing. I want to live out this life of love. I want to do that. And so I give my life as a living sacrifice. I pray that you would come and you would, you would lead me and fill me by your spirit, that I could be changed and, and to be a power for your kingdom and for your movement, that bring, to bring you honor. He says, I urge you to take that step in your life. And as we come to the end of this series, I want to give you a chance to pray that prayer, to say that to God, to say, yes, I want to give my life to you. I trust you completely. I want to be renewed. I want to be filled with your spirit in a fresh way and be led by your spirit. I want to be healed. And so as I mentioned at the top of the message, throughout the Bible, we have this symbol of oil, the anointing with oil that separates a, a person out for God's service, that, that is, represents an anointing of the Spirit for, for service and for leadership that represents a healing in our life. And so we're gonna be, I'm going to be praying, and we're going to be going into a time of, of worship. And during this time of worship, around the room, I've asked about 15 uh, uh, elders, pastors, uh, ministry directors, life group coaches are going to be around the perimeter room and, and they're going to have a bottle of oil. And if you would like to pray that prayer today and, and just say, God, I, I want to consecrate myself to you and ask you to, to fill me with your spirit in a fresh way and lead me in my life that I can honor you. And you want to do it in this symbolic way, like we saw the symbol of baptism and the symbol of communion, that you'd be able to go to one of these people and what they will do is they'll make a sign of the cross on your forehead. It's just a simple sign that we have, have uh, died and risen with Christ, that we die to ourselves, living sacrifice. And it's a sign made with oil, the sign of the Holy Spirit, asking God, would you lead me and fill me in a fresh way with your spirit for your purposes? And during this time, uh, we'll also just, the front will be open here for prayer. And if you just like to come up and pray, so maybe you want to be anointed with oil, maybe you don't. Maybe you want to come and pray, uh, maybe you don't. Maybe you want to be anointed and then pray. It's just wide open time. This is just a time for us as a church to come before God during worship and to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so if this is something you'd like to do, if you feel God's putting on your heart, then do it. And if you don't feel like he's putting on your heart, that's fine. Just kind of respond to him. But, but whatever he's doing, it's a chance for us to give ourselves to God. And so would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and the, the band's going to begin to play. We're going to be in worship. And then just as God leads, you come to the front or go to the, the, the sides or the back to be anointed, whatever you'd like, as we seek God as a church and bring this series to and, and, and offer ourselves. So God, we come to you and we want to respond to your word. Our mentor, the Apostle Paul, has urged us in light of this amazing story that we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. And we want to do that as a church. We want to come and say, I give my life totally irrevocably. I trust you, God. I surrender my life. Would you fill me with your spirit in a fresh way? Would you transform my life so I can experience your plan and your power? Would you fill me with your love so I could fill, carry out your command to love one another and set my sight on this destiny that we have and live for the things that really matter? And so, God, we come now. As the lights go low, as we go into worship, we pray now that you would come, that you would meet with us as we meet with you. In Christ's name, amen. 
Lord Jesus, you are our deliverer, and that's what we come to celebrate today, and that's the theme of this story that we've been studying this last year, that, that we were lost, we were the rebel race, and you came after us, and you delivered us, and you delivered us not only from the sentence of death, you delivered us from ourselves through the power of your Spirit, and you will deliver us in the future from our fallen bodies in a fallen planet. You alone are our deliverer, and we worship you together today at the end of this series, the end of this story that we've been studying all year. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. I want you to take your Bibles out one last time and turn to Romans chapter 16. Let's see how this story ends. Romans chapter 16, the very final verses. This is the Apostle Paul's final word to these people that he loves. Never met most of them in person. Plans to go there soon, though it won't be longer than he thinks. And in verse 25, he's signing off. 16, 25. Now to him, speaking of God, now to God who is able to establish you by my gospel, this story that I've told you, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, this message I've shared, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. And so this story that we've been studying, it was the mystery. It was, it was something God hadn't revealed, that there was a God who kind of was, who loved the human race and that was going to work through this Jewish people and bring a Messiah so that all men, Jews and Gentiles, all peoples could come to Christ. It was a mystery, and it's now been revealed. It's been revealed, verse 26, and made known through the prophetic writings, the Old Testament. It's been made known by the command of the eternal God, that God's decided it's time to publish this story. And why, the bottom line, is that so all nations might do two things, what are they? Might, first of all, what? Believe, and secondly, obey him. Let's say it again, that all nations might believe and obey him. Let's say it again, that all nations might believe and obey him. And that is the calling on this church, that we might believe and that we might obey him. Christ followers, not just Christ believers, Christ believers and Christ followers, that we might believe and that we might obey him. And he says, and this is to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen, that as we believe and as we obey, guess what? Bottom line, God gets the glory, his name, his fame, the passion of our hearts, amen? Amen. amen. Let's stand together. We're going to end our service by singing that song, Mystery, in the Mystery. And uh, as we do this, the ushers will come forward and they'll be taking the offering. We won't be stopping for prayer. We've been praying a lot, just kind of pass the offering. And let's go into worship now as we celebrate this mystery, this story that we've been studying. Hmm.